0: This is Rachel from C-SPAN's podcast team, along with my colleague, Nate. Join us as we celebrate C-SPAN's 45th anniversary and our inaugural Founders Day campaign.
1: It all started as a bold experiment on March 19, 1979, when C SPAN first brought coverage of the House of Representatives into living rooms across America. Let's celebrate C SPAN's visionary founders who believed in offering unfiltered access to the inner workings of our political process. From Congress to the White House to the courts and beyond, C SPAN has documented history unfolding without commentary or spin for over four decades. Help us keep it
0: going. Visit cspan.org/donate today to give a gift in celebration of C-SPAN's Founders Day. Your donation honors the original vision of C-SPAN's founders and helps to advance our mission for years to come. Make your donation today at cspan.org/donate. Thank you.
1: This week on 2024 Campaign Trail, C-SPAN takes you to South Carolina, where former President Donald Trump claimed another of two primary victories in the past week, and to Virginia, where rival Nikki Haley continued her push in Super Tuesday states, and to the U.S.-Mexico border in Texas, where President Biden and Donald Trump both made visits. But first, a look at some of the House races currently held by Republicans in California where voters will cast primary ballots in presidential House and Senate races on Tuesday.
0: Aaron Covey is a House analyst for the Cook Political Report. And Aaron, you've done some analysis on the importance of these California House seats. With their primary around the corner, why should people be paying attention to some of these California House seats? Yeah, so just to
2: remind folks, um, control of the House is on the line this year. Um, Republicans only have a four-seat majority in the House, and um, the redistricting in a couple of states has thrown some curveballs into that. Uh, It looks like at the end of the day, Democrats will only need to flip a few seats if they're going to take back control of the House. Um, Now, at this point, we see that as a toss-up. We don't think either party has a huge advantage for control of the House, um, but At the end of the day, um, a lot of these really competitive seats are either in New York um, and then in California. And I think New York has gotten a disproportionate amount of attention just because it is on the East Coast. Um, But California is going to be really crucial for the House majority um, in 2024.
0: Let's dig into some of these seats. Let's start with California 3rd District, Kevin Kiley.
2: Yeah, so this one is interesting. This is probably um, among the seats that are competitive and Republican held, one of the less competitive ones. So Kylie is a freshman congressman. He was elected to this seat last cycle after redistricting. Um, And this is a seat that Trump won by a couple of points in 2020. And so depending on how the presidential race plays out at the top of the ticket, it could be competitive. um, And Democrats have a strong candidate here in Jessica Morse, um, but we have this as likely Republican at the moment.
0: Moving on to California's 13th district, you all have rated this as a toss-up. Explain.
2: Yeah, so we have four California districts in our toss-up category. They're all held by Republicans, but I think even among the four toss-up seats, a lot of folks that I've talked to think that John Duarte in the 13th district could be the most vulnerable Republican in California. Um, So he represents a seat that is in the Central Valley, um, contains parts of Bakersfield, and this is a seat that the Democratic candidate last cycle came just 500 votes away from winning. And so um, from the beginning of the cycle, this was going to be a competitive race. We have it rated as D plus four, um, according to our PVI. So Democrats do have an inherent advantage in this seat. Um, But you know, Republicans have control of it. um, And as the incumbent Duarte is going to have resources that he did not have last cycle. But this is gonna be one of the most important races to watch. In terms of the primary itself, there is not a competitive primary here. So Adam Gray, who was the Democratic nominee last cycle and is a state assemblyman is running again and he's the only Democrat on the ballot. And so it's gonna be a matchup between those two.
0: Before we get to those other toss up races, let's talk about the open seat. People will know this seat. It belonged to the former speaker, Kevin McCarthy. Yes, so this is the only
2: Republican-held open seat in California this cycle. Um, It's also in the Central Valley, in the Bakersfield area. Um, And this is a safe red seat, so in terms of control of the House, not going to be competitive. But it's interesting because it's open now that McCarthy has resigned. Um, And so you have the regular um, primary that is happening on March 5th, along with the rest of California's primaries, and then you have the special election primary to actually fill the vacancy that is happening um, two weeks later. And so in this race, the front runner is Vince Vong, who is a state assemblyman and is McCarthy's longtime protege. Um, and once it was clear that McCarthy was not going to be returning for another term, he was thought of as the likely successor. But he does have a couple of opponents who are running to his right. And so it looked like this could be a bit of a competitive race initially. Um, that was up until a few days ago because Trump just endorsed, endorsed Fong. Um, and so obviously in this sort of bright red seat with, with Republican primary voters, um, Trump's endorsement is a game changer for Fong. And so I think he is the pretty clear front runner heading into this race.
0: That's the 20th district. Talk about the 22nd yes. district in California. Why should we watch this one?
2: So the 22nd district is interesting and it's probably um, one of the messiest primaries in California, along with the 47th district, which is held by Katie Porter. Um, So the 22nd district is very competitive. This is actually a D plus five seat. So technically the most Democratic leaning Republican held seat in California right now. But the congressman who represents it, David Valadeo, has cut out um, a fairly moderate profile among the House Republican conference. He was notably one of the 10 Republicans who voted to impeach Trump back in 2021. And so he's been able to um, take in a lot of crossover votes from folks who might vote Democratic at the top of the ticket over the years. Um, But he does have a competitive race as he always has. And the concern this cycle is that because Valadeo has a Republican opponent on the ballot, and Democrats have two candidates on the ballot, that Democrats could actually get locked out of the general election. And this is a case because California, unlike most states, has a open top two primary system where the top two candidates, regardless of what party they are running under, move into the general election. And so because of that, in a 50-50 sort of district, if you have two Republicans and two Democrats, there's a good chance that you could have two members of the same party actually get into the general election. Now, Democrats have now spent over a million dollars boosting Rudy Salas, a state assemblyman who's running here. So I think um, ultimately, he probably won't have any trouble getting into that general election, and it'll be another matchup between Valadeo and Salas, who also ran against him last cycle. But this is a race that Democrats have had to spend a decent amount of money on just to make sure they actually have a candidate in it.
0: Moving on to California's 27th district, also a toss-up. Yes.
2: So this is um, another kind of perennially competitive race for those who are following California politics. It's held by Mike Garcia, um, who has had the same Democratic opponent for the last couple of cycles. But this cycle, Democrats have a new recruit in George Whitesides. Um, So he's the only Democrat on the ballot here. So as far as the primary goes, he's the presumptive nominee. It won't be competitive. Um, But this is a really interesting race to watch. And Whitesides is incredibly wealthy, um, formerly worked for NASA, um, and now has a private space flight company. And um, he's actually put a decent amount of his own money into the race as well, and has a cash on hand advantage over Garcia at the moment. So I think um, for this reason, we have it rated as a toss up along with the other districts I've mentioned.
0: Going to the 40th district, likely Republican. Talk about the incumbent.
2: Yes, so the 40th district, um, this is an interesting race. It's held by um, Congresswoman Young Kim, who was elected in 2020. And this is um, one of the few seats that Biden won in 2020, but we actually have rated as likely R. So we believe that Kim is the clear favorite in this race. Um, She's demonstrated an ability for the past couple of cycles to run ahead of the top of the ticket. And this is the sort of district that um, will tend to vote Democratic at the top of the ticket, but also doesn't mind voting for Republicans and Senate and House and governor's races. Um, So this is going to be an interesting race to watch. I think, um, you know, depending on how the presidential race plays out, it could become more competitive. But for now, I think um, Kim is the clear favorite. What is her appeal? Yeah, so Kim um, is one of the um, Korean American women who is in Congress um, and in a district with a really large AAPI population, like the 40th District, she's been um, able to really um, take advantage of that and establish her own brand in the in the district. And she's also um, carved out a relatively, you know, it's all relative, more moderate lane than some of the other Republicans in Congress. She's still quite conservative on a lot of issues, particularly abortion, um, but does, has demonstrated some crossover appeal.
0: Your last toss up here for these California GOP seats is the 41st district.
2: Yeah, so this is another really interesting race to watch. Ken Calvert represents this seat. Um, He's been a longtime member of Congress since the 90s, Um, But the seat changed a lot in the latest round of redistricting. So it's mostly in Riverside County, but now it also takes in Palm Springs, which is obviously a very liberal part of the state. Um, So it's become more competitive, and Calvert has typically run in these pretty safe seats where he hasn't had to worry about um, dealing with serious Democratic challengers. So his Democratic opponent last cycle, Will Rollins, um, was one of Democrats' strongest candidates, um, when you look at his fundraising, and Democrats were really excited about the fact that he's running again this cycle. And so despite the fact that um, if you're looking at the presidential level, the seat is more Republican-leaning than some of these other toss-up races, um, because Democrats have such a strong candidate here, and because the Republican incumbent um, has just a more long conservative record compared to some of the other Republican members in the delegation, Democrats think this is one of their best pickup
0: opportunities of the cycle. And finally, one other district to talk about, and that's the 45th in California.
2: So this is another really interesting district. Um, it has one of the largest AAPI populations in the country as far as congressional districts go. Um, it's inland Orange County, and it's represented by Michelle Steele, um, who, along with Young Kim, was elected in 2020 um, as one of the first Korean-American women in Congress, Um, and this is at the presidential level a bit more competitive. So we have this rated as D plus two, and um, as far as our ratings go, it's in the lean Republican category. So this is gonna be um, probably a little bit more competitive, um, but we still do think Steele has the advantage. Now in this race, Democrats do have a competitive primary, um, and it'll be interesting to see who comes out of that because a couple of the Democrats running there have really struggled to raise money. but um, a lot of Democrats have lined up behind Derek Tran, um, who has demonstrated some stronger fundraising abilities and is could be potentially a stronger candidate in the general election. Um, but the primary is quite competitive and there's not really a clear
0: front runner here on the Democratic side. Aaron Covey's analysis, the road to the majority in the House, runs through these California House Republican seats to follow her and her reporting, you can go to Cook Political Report. Aaron Covey, thank you very
1: much. Yeah, thank you for having me on. Californians will also be casting ballots on Tuesday in one of the closest watched Senate races of the year. The latest Emerson College poll of the state's likely voters has Democratic Congressman Adam Schiff at 28 percent, followed by Republican Steve Garvey, the former San Diego Padres baseball player in second at 20%. Democratic House members Katie Porter and Barbara Lee were third and fourth in the poll. The two top performers in Tuesday's primary will move on to the general election. Next, some highlights from the final debate before the primary from NBC4 in Los Angeles.
3: Would you vote for a resolution that said Israel has to impose an immediate ceasefire right now, no conditions, unconditional ceasefire, end the war? Congresswoman Lee? Yes. Okay, Mr. Schiff? No. Ms. Porter? No. Mr. Garvey? No. Okay. I'll have you explain uh, those. Um, but in doing so, I'd like you also to uh, ex- express uh, your sentiment towards what the 45th President of the United States has said, and many people in the United States. America first, they want us disengaged from the world. Uh, Donald Trump has said on a number of occasions that uh, he he questions whether we should be in the NATO alliance, the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Uh, There's concerns about us pulling out. What is the role of the United States uh, in the world uh, in terms of American foreign policy? Uh, And you have 60 seconds. Congresswoman Lee, we'll start with you.
4: Global peace and security has got to be a priority for our foreign policy. And let me just explain what I mean. I uh, was the former chair when we were the majority of the Appropriations Committee that funded all of our development and diplomacy, preventing wars. We funded it to the... I believe it was about $60 billion. Defense was about $840 billion. We need to rebalance our foreign policy. We need to make sure that we put more into preventing wars, into development and diplomacy, and reduce the military budget. In many ways, that is the only pathway to peace the United States needs to lead in seeking a peaceful world, and that is the only way this planet is going to survive. And yes, we have many challenges. The military option is going to always be there, but we must put more of our investments into preventing wars, into development and diplomacy, humanitarian needs, and helping young people, especially throughout the world, uh, understand that they have a future. Thank you very much.
3: Thank you. Congressman Schiff, America's role in the world
5: first of all, um, Israel has a right to defend itself. Um, it was uh, horribly attacked uh, on October 7th, uh, and I don't see how there can be a lasting peace as long as a terrorist organization is governing Gaza and threatening to attack them over and over and over again, nor do I see how there can be a permanent ceasefire while that is true. Nevertheless, uh, Israel must make every effort to avoid civilian casualties, and we must make every effort to get the parties to a two-state solution. Uh, turning to the former president in Ukraine. Ukrainians just lost Avdivka, a city that they had gained uh, in reclaiming part of their land. That was a terrible loss to Ukraine. It was a terrible loss, I think, to democracy. And it was occasioned in part because Republicans in Congress would not approve aid to Ukraine, which we should approve immediately. Uh, and I'm calling on the President, if Congress won't act, to use seize Russian assets— Uh, To help fund Ukraine and its war effort. We remain the indispensable nation in the world. We cannot abdicate that responsibility, neither in the Middle East nor in Ukraine. Congresswoman Porter.
6: The United States should be a beacon for freedom, for democracy, and for human rights. That's the touchstone that should guide our foreign policy, and we should be centered on those three values with every country in the world. Um, I think it is important to recognize that this conflict in Gaza, the result of the horrific attack by Hamas, um, is one in which the parties to the conflict must determine what will be a lasting ceasefire for them. We can't just pass resolutions and make it so. The United States Needs to support peace. We need to recognize some on this stage will not. We need to recognize the incredible humanitarian disaster unfolding in Gaza, and we need to be firm and clear to Israel, as our ally, that we expect them to be a champion for peace and democracy. Um, I think it is important that we that we live our values in this way, and that we're investing in diplomacy. Donald Trump did terrible terrible damage to our standing on the world stage allowing iran and russia to grow in power and we're all paying for the consequences thank you Um,
3: mr garvey there are plenty in the country who believe we are overextended america first we should focus on domestic issues and not be uh, uh, essentially the police officer for the world Mm
7: -hmm. what do you say well my campaign is based on common sense and compassion and consensus building i think i said earlier We're the torchbearer for democracy around the world. Uh, The world is watching us and how we support our allies. Uh, We're supporting our ally in Ukraine. Uh, We're looking at Taiwan, obviously, if they need help. Uh, As I've said, I support Israel yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And I believe all these countries we support have the right to their sovereignty. But as everybody looks at us for strength or weakness, we have to maintain that strength so that when people look at us, we are a deterrent for China, for Russia, for Iran, anyone who feels that they could become a threat to democracy.
5: Mr. So, Conan, I agree with Mr. Garvey we should be the lucky. torchbearer of democracy, but how is that possible well, with like Donald Trump? Well, how is that right? possible? I, I appreciate that. I, I, appreciate that. Mr. Garvey, Thank you very you much for the—you
3: to you took up the, the seconds that he wasn't using. Uh, you could respond to that, Mr. Garvey, uh, the—, the this comment from Congressman Shipp. I didn't understand what he was talking about. Well, well uh, let, let me explain. Well, no, you know, no, no, We, could, I, I, we appreciate we that, Congressman. We, with we, Donald we, Trump we, we appreciate it. Defend—his uh, argument is that you voted for Donald Trump twice. You've said you haven't, haven't decided on what's going to happen. But ex- uh, de- defend, in your words, uh, the foreign policy agenda that of the previous president. 30
7: seconds. I— Look into this camera and talk to the citizens of California one on one as your senator. I will do everything to maintain your security. I don't I'm not concerned with any one being. I'm concerned with 38 million Californians and 330 million Americans.
3: Ms. Porter, you have 15 seconds.
6: Look, the reality is Mr. Garvey has been unclear on where he stands with regard to Donald Trump. He's even said he might vote for Joe Biden. There is a Republican that is dangerous in this race, and that's Trump Republican Eric Early, who has said he will be 100 percent MAGA at all
3: times. Okay, thank you very much, Congresswoman. I appreciate that.
6: Let's talk about endorsements. Twenty-seven Democratic House members have endorsed Adam Schiff. Eight have endorsed Congresswoman Barbara Lee. Based on your
8: website, your website, which I checked just before we came on air here, you have one, one House member, Robert Garcia, out of Long Beach. You have said you
6: didn't go to Washington to make friends. Why is that a good thing, when a senator really needs to work with other people to come up with legislation and to get them to vote? You have 30 seconds. I'm tremendously proud of the relationships I have with my colleagues, and they have put their trust in me, electing me deputy chair of the Progressive Caucus. That's the number two spot, the largest caucus at the time in the House Democratic um, membership. I have also been twice selected to be either a subcommittee chair or a ranking member because these chairmen, these chairpeople sought me out with regard to endorsements— With regard to endorsements, I would say that I'm tremendously proud to have the endorsements of folks like Attorney General Rob Bonta, State Senator Scott these are, these are not your colleagues. These are not people who work in the House with you on a day-to-day basis. These are state senators. This is the Attorney General for the state of California and Elizabeth Warren out of the Senate. Why not your colleagues? I have the endorsement of Robert Garcia, and I'm tremendously proud of that. And look, I have something important in common with Robert, which is I went to Congress to not be beholden to corporate special interests. I have a different position on earmarks. I, have, I don't think that we should be engaging in those special projects, for lining people's pockets. And I have had people who have powerful special interests push back. They fund these people's campaigns, and it affects what they do.
1: Former President Donald Trump notched two more GOP primary wins in the last week in both South Carolina and Michigan. That netted him 47 more delegates from South Carolina. Michigan's delegates are set to be awarded this weekend at a state party convention. Next, a portion of the former president's victory remarks in Columbia, South Carolina.
9: Thank you very much. Wow. That is really something. This was a little sooner than we anticipated. It was. an even bigger win than we anticipated. And I was just informed that we got double the number of votes that has ever been received in the great state of South Carolina. So that's pretty good. So it's a record times two. And there's something going on in the country. Some really great things are going on. You look outside and you see all of the horror you see millions and millions of people coming across the border illegally. We don't know where they come from. They come from jails. They come from prisons. They come from all sorts of places that we don't want to know. They come from mental institutions and insane asylums. And we don't want that in our country. We're not going to stand for it. We're not going to stand for it. You have terrorists coming in. You have people coming in that we just can't, uh, we can't do this. No country could could sustain what's happening to the United States of America, no country. So we're going to straighten things out. The border is the worst it's ever been. You know, in 2016, we won and we had a bad border and I talked about the border a lot, talked about it a lot. And I said, we're going to fix it, we're going to fix it. We fixed it very quickly. And in 2020, we couldn't talk about it, although we did get millions of more votes a second time. But now there's a spirit that I have never seen. We ran two great races, but there's never been, ever, there's never been a spirit like this. And I just want to say that I have never seen the Republican Party so unified as it is right now. Never been like this. And a big part of uh, of that is the people standing behind me. These are the... These are the biggest officials in South Carolina, but I say like the biggest officials in our country as far as I'm concerned. They're really, they're state figures, but they're national figures. And in the truest sense of the word, they love our country so much and they want to see our country succeed and be respected again. Right now, we're a laughing stock all over the world. Our country is going to be respected again, respected like never before. So this is a a fantastic evening. It's an early evening and a fantastic. You can all go down and you can celebrate for about 15 minutes and we have to get back to work because the big date, the big date, you know, Michigan's coming up, we're doing great. The auto workers are going to be with us 100% because they got sold out by this country. But Michigan's up and uh, we're going to have a tremendous success there. And then we have a thing called Super Tuesday, And uh, I think we're leading 91 to 7 overall. Uh, If you don't mind, may I have the pleasure of introducing some incredible people? Because they stuck right from the beginning, from the very moment we announced. and, And they believe in make America great again. That's what they believe in. They believe in America first. We're putting America first. First of all, my family. Melania, Barron, Don Jr. and Kimberly, Ivanka and Jared, Tiffany and Michael. They're so, so supportive, so supportive of me, and we really appreciate it and love them. They're great. We have a great family, and we have incredible friends, and we're going to be up here on November 5th, and we're going to look at Joe Biden, and we're going to look him right in the eye. He's destroying our country, and we're going to say... Joe, you're fired. Get out. Get out, Joe. You're fired.
1: Republican rival Nikki Haley's loss in her home state of South Carolina prompted the cash-rich Coke political network to halt its funding of her campaign. Despite the setback, Ms. Haley vowed to continue onward to Super Tuesday. Her stops included this one in Falls Church, Virginia, just outside of Washington, D.C.
10: You know, eight months ago... I dropped Michael off at 4 AM for another year long deployment. And I watched him and 230 soldiers pick up their two duffel bags of belongings to go to a country. They'd never been all in the name of protecting America. They're willing to sacrifice their lives and their families because they still believe in this amazing experiment that is America. So if they're willing to sacrifice for us there, shouldn't we be willing to fight for America here? (laughs) Because we have a country to save. And, you know, the media is like losing their mind going, why does she keep fighting? Why does she keep doing this? And the honest answer is, I'm doing this for my kids and for your kids and your grandkids. Because the truth is, look at what the younger generation has been through. I'm seeing a lot of them here. They went through COVID, which was traumatic. They don't know what this $34 trillion in debt means to them and what they're going to have to be responsible for. They're worried about getting a job. They're worried about making ends meet. They don't think they're ever going to be able to own a home. And then they wonder if war is going to break out. And if that wasn't enough, it's all under this tent of anger and division. And then we want to know why there's so much anxiety, stress, and depression. Our kids deserve to know what normal feels like. It's not normal under Joe Biden to allow millions of illegal immigrants to come in and not stop them. It's not normal for Joe Biden to worry more about gender pronouns and whether our kids can actually read them. It's not normal for Joe Biden to have these wars around the world. But it's not normal for Donald Trump to side with a tyrant over our allies. It's not normal for Donald Trump to spend millions of dollars in campaign contributions on his personal court cases. It's not normal for Donald Trump to mock members of the military. It's not normal for Joe Biden to be calling his opponents fascists and Donald Trump to be calling his opponents vermin. None of that is normal. I wanna get us to a place. Can you imagine a country where we could sit down at the dinner table and not have a political fight? Can you imagine a country where we can go to work and say what we think and not worry about being demoted? Can you imagine a country where we can strongly disagree but not hate each other? That's where I want us to go because that's who I know we can be. We're better than this. We're better than what is happening right now. When I announced that I was running, they asked me what my motivations were for doing this. And I said, you know, my parents came here 50 years ago to an America that was strong and proud and full of opportunities. I want them to know that country again. I'm doing this for Michael and his military brothers and sisters. They need to know their sacrifice matters. They need to know that we love our country. I'm doing this for my daughter who just got married And I saw how hard it was for her and her husband to buy a home. The average home buyer in America is 49 years old. The American dream is leaving them. And I'm doing this for my son, who's a senior in college, and I am tired of watching him write papers of things he doesn't believe in just to get an A. That's not us, that's not America. (laughs) And for the first time, 81% of Americans don't think their kids are gonna live as good of a life as we did. We can't be okay with that. I'm not okay with that. We do have a country to save. But this is where it comes down to you. Tuesday is election day. This is the chance for you to be heard. So I want every one of you to go vote and take 10 people with you. I want you to get a yard sign, put a yard sign in your yard. And if you can't have a yard sign in your yard, put it in the back of your car. (laughs) And I want you to email, text and call everybody you know, you would be shocked at the number of family and friends who are just general election voters. I want you to give them a message for me. In a general election, you're given a choice. In a primary, we make our choice. I know Virginia knows how to use the power of her voice. I know you guys can get out there. We have a country to save, so I want everybody to get out and vote. And this is my promise to you. If you will join us in this movement, if you will join us in this fight, I'll take the pain. I'll take the cuts. I'll take the bruises. I've done it up until now. Because I think all good things don't come easy. And I think that to get to a blessing, sometimes you have to go through the pain. But if you join me in this, I promise you, our best days are yet to come. Thank you very
1: much. God bless you. Thank you. This year's two presidential frontrunners, President Biden and former President Donald Trump, We're both at the U.S.-Mexico border on Thursday, amid a surge of migrants there. Next, part of President Biden's visit to the border patrol station in Brownsville, Texas. Then part of former President Trump's visit to the border at Eagle Pass, Texas.
11: last four years, staffing has been roughly that, flat, just flat. Agents working overtime, spending long hours patrolling the border, making major sacrifices. And I know it takes a big toll on them and their families. That's why, in December, I signed a bill finally getting Border Patrol agents, what I've been pushed by and reminded by the congressman, overtime pay they deserve. Finally getting overtime pay. I, I mean, it's ridiculous it took this long. It was long past time, and I was proud to do it. But we need to do more. It's time to step up. It's time to step up provide them with significantly more personnel and capability. We also need more immigration judges. Help handle the backlog. There are two million cases, backlog of two million cases. This bipartisan deal would provide funding for 100 more immigration judges immediately, it would also establish new efficient and fair process for the government to consider asylum claims for those arriving on our border today. The process to get a decision on an asylum claim takes five to seven years. Now you all know it down here, but the people around the country don't understand it. It's far too long. You come in, you say, you say, I have a credible fear and, and we've changed that standard to make it hard. We want change to change make it harder. And what happens? You say, well, okay, you can come in the country, but come back in five to seven years, maybe as many as eight years, and you get a hearing from before a judge to determine whether you can stay. This will encourage more people. This encourages more people to come to the country. If they get by the first, say, they got another five, seven, eight years before they have to do anything because they know they cannot handle the caseloads quickly and they'll be able to stay in this country in the meantime. With new policies in this bill, an addition of 4,300 additional asylum officers, we'll be able to reduce that process to less than six months. That would have a serious deterrent effect on those coming north. When, 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 when the criminal gangs say, we'll get you north, what's 8,000 bucks, they say, no, wait, let me get this straight. I'm going to go north. It's going to cost me six, eight, probably closer to eight, I guess, thousand dollars equivalent. And I'm going to get there, and in six months, they may be able to get rid of me. I don't know, man. Six months, seven years, two different things. The person who's thinking about entering the United States understands the cases to be decided in a few weeks or months instead of five to seven years. They're less likely to come in the first place. They're not going to pay the cartels thousands of dollars to make that journey. Folks, the bipartisan border security deal is a win for the American people. And it's a win for the people of Texas. And it's fair for those who legitimately have a right to come here to begin with. It's a win for the people of Brownsville. And I believe that's why the Border Patrol Union endorsed it. I believe that's why the National Chamber of Commerce, the National Chamber of Commerce endorsed it, not known as a Democratic Organization with a capital D. Look, and that's why the Wall Street Journal endorsed it as well. This is a truly bipartisan initiative. That's why the bipartisan South Texas Alliance of Cities endorsed it, folks. <clears throat> I didn't get, I didn't get everything I wanted in that compromise bipartisan bill, but neither did anybody else. The compromise is part of the process. That's how democracy works. That's how it's supposed to work. Compromise is a very positive step on a critical issue for the country, all those issues for the country, and folks here in Brownsville and all along the border know that. We need to have their backs, your backs. I want the people to understand clearly what happened here. This bill was in the United States Senate. It was on its way to being passed. Then it was derailed by rank-and-file politics, rank-partisan politics. The U.S. Senate needs to reconsider this bill. And those senators who oppose it need to set politics aside and pass it on merits, not on whether it's going to benefit one party or benefit the other party. It's about whether it benefits the American people. It's what the American people deserve. The Speaker of the House needs to put this bill on the floor because if he put it on the floor unrestricted, it would pass. The majority of Democrats and Republicans in both houses support this legislation until someone came along and said, don't do that, it'll benefit the incumbent. That's a hell of a way to do business in America for such a serious problem. We need to act. It's time for the speakers and some of my Republican friends in Congress who are blocking this bill to show a little spine. Pass a bipartisan board. Bipartisan. As remember, bipartisan. Conservative leaders supported this border security bill. Let's remember who we work for, for God's sake. We work for the American people. Let me end with this. I understand my predecessors in Eagle Pass today. So here's what I would say to Mr. Trump. Instead of playing politics with the issue, instead of telling members of Congress to block this legislation, join me or I'll join you in telling the Congress to pass this bipartisan border security bill. We can do it together. You know and I know it's the toughest, most efficient, most effective border security bill this country has ever seen. So, instead of playing politics with the issue, why don't we just get together and get it done? Let's remember who the heck we work for. WE WORK FOR THE AMERICAN PEOPLE, NOT THE DEMOCRATIC PARTY, THE REPUBLICAN PARTY. WE WORK FOR THE AMERICAN PEOPLE. AND LET'S REMEMBER WHO WE ARE. WE'RE THE UNITED STATES OF AMERICA. NO, I MEAN THIS. THINK ABOUT THIS. THERE'S NOTHING, NOTHING BEYOND OUR CAPACITY, NOTHING WHEN WE WORK TOGETHER. AND IF ALL THINGS WE SHOULD BE WORKING TOGETHER ON IS THIS, WE HAVE THE formula TO GET IT DONE.
5: DAY OF AN EXTRAORDINARY CONTRAST. WE HAVE PRESIDENT TRUMP BACK IN THE STATE OF TEXAS literally on the border itself, a place that he's been to many times, uh, talking about all the things that he's done to secure the border. At the very same time, we have President Biden down in Brownsville, Texas, which was an obligatory visit by him. He'd never been to the border. In fact, I don't think he's on the border itself right now. He's in some sanitized location in the Brownsville area, not seeing the razor wire that Texas has put up around Brownsville. And he announced that he was going to Brownsville after it was already known that President Trump was coming to the state of Texas. It just goes to show that Biden does not
9: care about either Texas or the border and what's going on. Bad. Now the United States is being overrun by the Biden migrant crime. It's a new form of uh, vicious violation to our country. It's migrant crime. We call it Biden Migrant crime, but that's a little bit long, so we'll just leave it. But every time you hear the term migrant crime, you know where that comes from. Allowing thousands and thousands and actually millions and millions of people to come. Could be 15 million, could be 18 million by the time he uh, gets out of office, because hopefully the biggest risk we have is nine months. That's a long time. A lot of bad things can happen. I always say... In speeches and rallies, it's if you take the 10 worst presidents in the history of our country and you added them all up, all of the problems, all of the lousy jobs they've done, you can add them all up. It's not as bad as this one man has done for our country. What he's done to our country is he's destroying our country. Uh, we were just talking before we were the general was saying, I can't believe he can't believe what's happening. He can't believe it. it's so sad. Last year, almost half of all ice arrests were criminal aliens charged for more than 33,000 assaults, 3,000 robberies, 6,900 burglaries, 7,500 weapons crimes. This is all migrant crime. 4,300 sex crimes, 1,600 kidnappings, and 1,700 homicides and murders. These are the people that are coming into our country. And they're coming from jails, and they're coming from prisons, and they're coming from mental institutions, and they're coming from insane asylums. And they're terrorists. They're being let into our our country. And uh, it's horrible. It's horrible. And, you know, I know many of the leaders of these other countries that are doing it. And it's not just South America. It's all over the world. The Congo, a very big population coming in from jails from the Congo. You look at the jails now, you take a look at the jails throughout the region, but more importantly, throughout the world. They're emptying out because they're dumping them into the United States. And these guys try and make like, oh, isn't it wonderful? They don't have a clue. I think they're looking for votes. They're looking for something. Nobody's really been able to tell me how anybody could want it. You know, you're always in business. You always want to understand the other side. Uh, You want to figure it out so you can do something that's good or bad, depending on what you're looking for. But nobody can explain to me because everybody I speak to says how horrible has Nobody explained to me how allowing millions of people from places unknown, from countries unknown, who don't speak languages. We have languages coming into our country. We have nobody that even speaks those languages. They are, they're truly foreign languages. Nobody speaks them. And they're pouring into our country, and they're bringing with them tremendous problems, including medical problems. As you know, we had Title II, and we had different things to solve that problem, but they've terminated all of that. Even the judge couldn't believe it. The judge said, no, no, you can't do that. It would be horrible to do that. And he let it go. And, but he said in six months it expires and uh, it expired and that's it. So I just think you're doing an incredible uh, job. Just one week ago, a beautiful 22 year old nursing student from Georgia was barbarically attacked, almost unrecognizable. While she was out on her morning run, she was a morning run. She was doing a keep herself in shape. She was a beautiful young woman. She was a great person, best nursing student there was. I spoke to her parents yesterday. They're incredible people. They're devastated beyond beyond belief. But she was beautiful, just so beautiful in so many ways and brutally assaulted, horrifically beaten, kidnapped and savagely murdered. The monster the charged uh, charging the death is an illegal alien migrant who was led into our country and released into our communities by crooked Joe Biden. He's crooked. I took the name away from Hillary.
1: Next, a preview of what you'll see this weekend on American History TV's historic campaign speeches series. Every Saturday, ah on C-SPAN 2 looks at presidential campaigns past. This week, you'll hear two speeches from historic run-ups to Super Tuesday. First, From 2008, Democrat Hillary Clinton from a rally in Los Angeles. And then from 2016, Republican Senator Marco Rubio from his home state of Florida ahead of that state's primary.
8: Let's begin to end the war in Iraq, and I have said on my very first day, I will start to plan to bring our troops home within 60 days. I will do this carefully and thoughtfully because I know we have some veterans in this audience, and you know how hard and dangerous it is to withdraw troops and equipment. And we have to take care of our civilians who are there. We've got to figure out what to do with the Iraqis who helped us. So we need a president and a commander-in-chief who understands that we have to withdraw from Iraq unlike Senator McCain, who said he'd be perfectly happy to be there for a hundred years. I just want you to think about this. I believe that we can have an election this time where all of the issues, including national security, are ones that Democrats can stand and proudly promote. I take a back seat to no one in my commitment to protect and defend this country, but let's do it a smart way for a
12: change. Of all the places in America, and I have traveled this country now and I am so proud to be back because there is no place in America that understands the American dream better than this community and this great state of Florida. Like our country, this is a place built by people who always work hard for a better life. Here in this community, we have all been shaped and raised by people that know how special America is because they know what life is like outside of America. By millions of people who lost their homeland, by millions of people that lost their future. But thank God they found this great country where anything is possible, where everyone can go as far as their talent and their work will take them. But we know that the things that make America special were not an accident. They did not happen on their own. They happened because for over 200 years, each generation of Americans did what they needed to do to leave their children better off than themselves. I know of no place in America that understands that better than we do here. For literally every single one of us here is but a generation removed from someone who made our future the purpose of their lives. Only in America would that have been possible.
1: CNN reported that a political action committee supporting independent presidential candidate Robert F. Kennedy Jr. was able to secure ballot access in Arizona and Georgia. The latest Harris X poll showed the Independent pulling 14% nationally, with President Biden falling two points behind former President Donald Trump. Next, a video the Kennedy campaign has posted across its social media accounts, aimed at younger voters.
13: Hey everybody, it's Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and I'm an independent candidate for president of the United States. If you're under 30, you probably know my name, but you may not know much about me. My uncle John F. Kennedy was the 35th president of the United States. My father was his attorney general and was himself a candidate for president when he was assassinated in 1968. Although I grew up around the White House, I'm definitely not a career politician. I've spent the last 40 years of my career as an environmental lawyer and advocate, fighting large corporate polluters and corrupt government agencies, and trying to protect America's wild places, and the quality of your food, the quality of the water you drink, and the quality of the air that you breathe. My hope is that your generation and that of your children will have the same opportunities for dignity and enrichment and prosperity and good health as the communities that earlier generations of Americans gave to my generation. And right now, I'm the top choice for young voters in this country. I'm also the most feared and hated candidate in Washington DC among the elites because I'm not bought and I'm not buyable by corporate interests or by the big lobbyists. As president, I'm gonna end the forever wars. they bankrupted your generation and left you with $33 trillion in debt and gotten us nothing in return. I'm gonna bring the money back to our communities to rebuild the American middle class. Did you know that the Pentagon has failed every single audit in history? You work hard, you pay your taxes, you play by the rules, but the government clearly is not working for you. The political elites want you to own nothing and be happy. The corrupt merger of state and corporate power has systematically stripped mined your generation of its wealth and equity and turned America from the world's exemplary democracy into a crooked corporate kleptocracy. By driving up the price of housing, they are transforming America from an ownership society to a rental society, and when they do that, Americans go from being citizens to being subjects. I'm gonna end all that. I'm gonna help you buy your first home with a 3% government-backed mortgage rate plan. I'm also going to bring rental prices down, which no one in Washington seems to want to talk about. And I get it, why should you believe me? You're feeling disenfranchised, disillusioned, disenchanted with the whole political process. The folks in power have gotten your generation nowhere. They've crippled you with debt, and let's be honest, they've lied to you. My father told me when I was a little kid that people in authority lie, and our government and the mainstream media are now lying to us every day. And I say that enough is enough, and that's why I look forward to earning your vote. Put me under a microscope. Hold me to account. I'm applying for a job, and you're the recruiters. For more information, head to kennedy24.com.
1: Self-help author Marianne Williamson announced on Wednesday she was unsuspending her Democratic presidential campaign. The news came the morning after she notched 3% in Michigan's Democratic presidential primary, falling behind President Biden's re-election effort and more than 13% of voters who chose uncommitted, but ahead of Minnesota Congressman Dean Phillips. Next, the video Ms. Williamson posted to X announcing her return to the race
14: hey i have an important announcement to make as of today i am unsuspending my campaign for the presidency of the united states i had suspended it because i was losing the horse race but something so much more important than the horse race is at stake here and we must respond right now we have a fascist standing at the door everybody's all upset about it well we should be upset about it but we're not going to defeat the fascist by well by what What is President Biden offering? He says, let's finish the job. Well, I hope you realize we're talking about millions of voters for whom they can't even survive unless they work at two or three jobs. What is he saying beyond, you know, the economy is really doing well. Are you kidding me? For whom? It's doing well for 20% of us, and that's to be celebrated. But that 20% is on an island surrounded by a vast sea of economic despair. 39% of the American people report that they are regularly skipping meals in order to pay their rent. Over half of bankruptcies come from medical debt one in four Americans carry. We're now living at a time where economic anxiety is experienced by the majority of people, the majority of people living paycheck to paycheck, the minimum wage not having been raised, and increased and increasing militarism. What's going on here? Well, I'll tell you what's going on here. We the people basically don't own this country right now. Abraham Lincoln said that people who died in the civil war for the Union had died so that a government of the people, by the people, and for the people would not perish from the earth. It's perishing now and on our watch. We are a government for all intents and purposes of the corporations, by the corporations, and for the corporations. And we need a president who says this. And we need a president who lays down an agenda and says, we're going to turn this thing around. We're going to take an economic U-turn. Who inspires the American people. We can do different. We can do better. That's what it is to make this country great again to return it to a time when we actually had a thriving middle class. And you don't do that with Donald Trump's policies. You do that with Medicare for All. You do it with tuition-free college and tech school. You do it with eliminating, using the Higher Education Act, the entire college loan debt. You do it with paid family leave and subsidized childcare. You do it with guaranteed housing, guaranteed living wage, guaranteed sick pay. We change this world. We make it more beautiful. We have to respond to Donald Trump's dark vision of possibility. We need to have a peace academy as well as a military academy. We have to have armies of peace builders as well as armies of military personnel. We need to play peace games, not just war games. We need to learn to wage peace. We need to end America's war on drugs. We need to have a ceasefire now. We need to have reparations. We need to have policies that actually expand opportunities and thus expand the economy and expand the possibilities for the future for our children and our children's children. We need to ramp down, not keep ramping up fossil fuel extraction. We need to take this country in a direction of hope and possibility and regeneration. That is the vision that will defeat Donald Trump, not let us finish the job. We're watching a car crash in slow motion here. Everybody knows it. Some people would say, oh, Ms. Williamson, you're delusional. (laughs) I'll tell you what's delusional. What's delusional is just closing our eyes and crossing our fingers and just hoping that somehow Biden and Harris will be able to beat that juggernaut of dark, dark vision. No, we're going to defeat that juggernaut by lifting people up, lifting ourselves up to a realization that new beginnings are what America specializes in. It's what we were born from. We need to remember what our ancestors have done when they were challenged. We've done great things in this country. We're hardwired to do great things, and we have to do them now. I hope you go to marianne2024.com. Read our policies. We're still in this. Let's do this. This is serious. This is serious. We need to say to the American people, we see your pain, and we need to say to Donald Trump, we see your BS. Let's do this. Thanks so much. Spread the word.
1: An update on New Jersey's Senate race. One of the two prominent Democrats battling for the seat currently held by Senator Bob Menendez, Congressman Andy Kim, has filed suit in federal court to do away with the Garden State's line voting system. That allows county parties to endorse slates of candidates on a ballot, making it possible to vote for multiple offices with just one choice. Representative Kim's lawyers argued in their court filing that this system put other candidates at an inherent disadvantage. Meanwhile, his rival, New Jersey First Lady Tammy Murphy, started airing this ad on New Jersey Airwaves this week.
0: This is the NRA's world headquarters. It's where cowards work. They know their guns are killing our kids, but they don't care. And weak, pathetic politicians refuse to stand up to them. In the Senate, I'll fight for universal background checks to end immunity for gun makers. And let's ban military-style assault weapons once and for all. I'm Tammy Murphy, and I will make it my mission to take down the NRA. I can't be bought. I won't be bullied. And that's why I approve this message.
1: A reminder, this program and all of C-SPAN's campaign 2024 coverage can be found online at cspan.org slash campaign.